Welcome to the First Church Message of the Week podcast. Thanks for listening in. This weekend, as we look forward to celebrating Independence Day, one may wonder what the founders of our country would think of where we are today with all our social, economic, and political pressures. They had a vision to form a more perfect union, establish justice, and establish this Constitution of the United States. And we may also wonder, are we there yet? Or do we have a long way to go? This message of the week comes from Reverend Sandy Prouty Cole. She shares the story of Naaman and how he was healed by God in a way he did not expect after a suggestion from what some would call an insignificant servant girl. Sandy also challenges us to not be afraid to jump into our faith completely, even if we don't know who we can help or what to expect. Here is the First Church Message of the Week. Won't you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we come here today to worship you, and we pray that you would open our eyes and our minds and our hearts to hear your word and to hear the message and to follow your nudges as you give them to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So it's hard to believe that we are already in the month of July, right? And that Independence Day is just right around the corner. And all of this time of year, it has me reminiscing a lot about past summers when I was a kid, especially on these hot days. Because you see, when I was a kid, I grew up on a farm, and we didn't have a lot of options really for on a hot day, other than like a water tank or a stock dam or maybe a sprinkler to get a dip of water to cool ourselves off. And I was fortunate enough, though, to have a friend who lived less than a mile outside of a small town, the nearest small town that had a community swimming pool. And since my mom also wanted us to learn how to swim, I would go there for swimming lessons. And if I was lucky, on the good days, I would get to go home with my friend after swimming lessons and get to come back to swim at the pool all afternoon, which was really fun. But I don't know about you, but of course, when I was young and first learning how to swim, I was a little scared of the water. And I may have actually looked kind of like this bird here, especially on those cold swimming lesson mornings when the water was really chilly. But I soon learned to love the water, and I love jumping off the diving boards and racing to the bottom of the 12-foot end of the pool to pick up those objects that we'd thrown in that had sunk to the bottom. And we just had fun doing that all afternoon. But sometimes also those <clears throat> the love of water that we may have doesn't necessarily transfer, at least for me, to some of those more natural swimming spots that God has created for us, like uh, lakes and rivers and oceans where other creatures also live. And you might say that I would look like this in those areas where something touched my foot and I didn't see it. (laughs) Something touched my foot and I had to get out of there. I really dislike swimming in those kind of places. But today we are gonna dip our toes into something else. We're gonna dip our toes into the Old Testament in 2 Kings. And we're gonna go back to the time of the prophet Elisha. And this is a time after King David and King Solomon had served where the kingdom had become divided. And there was actually two kingdoms now, the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. And the history of all of the kings that have served and ruled in that time is recorded in in the books of First and Second Kings. And if you look through there, oftentimes you'll see these kings referred to as evil kings. 
kings who didn't follow the prophets' advice or who did not worship the God of Israel. So in our scripture today, we're going to meet King Jehoram, who is the king of Israel at the time and who happened to be the son of King Ahab. Now, you may recall that King Ahab was known as doing evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And Ahab and Jezebel were the ones who were trying to kill all of God's prophets at the time, including the prophet Elijah, who was one of the greatest prophets back then. Now, Elijah is the person who trained Elisha as his disciple. And he was the one that took over becoming the lead prophet after Elijah was gone. And King Jehoram was still considered evil, but he was not as evil as his father because he actually removed the pillar of worship to the god Baal that his father had made. So he was a little better than his father. And while Elisha was the lead prophet there, the king didn't always listen to him or consult him for advice. So let's take a look at our scripture for today that comes from 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 through, 1 through 15. Now Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from a skin disease. Now the Arameans, on one of their raids, had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my Lord were with the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his skin disease. So Naaman went in and told his Lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, go then, and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. He went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of garments. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When the letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his skin disease. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death or life? that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his skin disease? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a message to him, saying, Go, wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away, saying, I thought that for me he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the skin disease. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned and went away in a rage. But his servants approached and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was wash and be clean? So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. 
He came and stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Please accept a present from your servant. So in this passage, we have Naaman, the general of the king of Aram. And most likely, he would be considered an enemy of Israel. And he has this skin disease, which doesn't seem so bad that he, he can't work, but it's enough of a problem that his servant girl, this nameless captive girl from Israel, suggests that he go visit the prophet Elisha to be healed. Now the king of Israel receives him, and he receives him with a letter from his king, and so the king of Israel, King Jeroboam, thinks this is a trap and thinks that Naaman has been sent to cause trouble for him or to start a war. He doesn't seem aware that there is a prophet of God in his own lands that can heal in such a way. But Elisha hears of what is happening, and he encourages the king to send Naaman to him so that he can learn that there is a prophet in Israel who is acting for the God of Israel. So Naaman finally gets to the prophet's house here, and he's only given directions through a messenger on how to be healed. And now it's his turn to become upset. Here he is, this very important foreign general, You can almost picture this, right? And he is given these very simple instructions without even seeing the prophet in person, without even having this important fanfare to go along with his miracle. And he is insulted. Where is the dignity that he deserves? And he begins to question why he is even has to go into the River Jordan and not the rivers back home. Aren't they better than this dirty Jordan River? And there is no way that Naaman is going to dip even his big toe in the Jordan River at this point. He is ready to go back home. Now, I don't think Naaman was scared of what creatures might be in that river. But as I was reading and preparing on the story, I began to wonder if Naaman might actually be going through a little bit of culture shock. Now, if you have ever traveled somewhere... that's new and different, you may have experienced this as well in either big or small ways. Culture shock is when we experience a sense of confusion or uncertainty. We might get overwhelmed and emotional because we're experiencing something that's different or strange to our normal culture and our normal environment. We get frustrated because what we think should be normal, well, it's not normal. It's not the same as what we've experienced. And then a lot of times we miss our home and what we know well that is normal. Culture shock can be as simple as something that my daughter recently shared on her travel blog. She's currently in Austria on a three-month exchange trip, and she shared how she became overwhelmed and frustrated about not being able to use the microwave to heat up her lunch. Because in Austria, the microwave instructions and the buttons are in German. And she's not fluent in German, and she's pushing buttons, and nothing's happening. (laughs) And so it sounds so simple, right, that you want to heat up your lunch in the microwave, but it's not working, and it just hits you that it's different. 
But culture shock can also be something that's much bigger than that and, and something that is more life-changing and transformative for us, such as a trip that John Lewis, a former U.S. congressman from Georgia, took and describes in his book, Carry On, Reflections for a New Generation. Lewis shares how in 1951, when he was just 11 years old, he traveled with his family from rural Alabama to Buffalo, New York, to visit relatives. Now, this was his first trip traveling out of the South, and it opened up his eyes to seeing things differently. You see, his relatives in Buffalo lived next to a white family, and it was the first time he had seen blacks and whites living as neighbors and as friends. They were living together as Americans. And Lewis realized then that the world was a lot bigger than his hometown of, Al home of Alabama and that there were people who thought and acted differently from those where he lived. Now, thankfully, Naaman in our scripture today had some servants who reminded him that if the prophet had told him to do something really difficult, he probably would have done it. So why not just go ahead and dip yourself in the water seven times to wash and be clean? And so he went and he immersed himself those seven times in the Jordan River and his flesh became like that of a young boy and it was clean. And through this healing, Naaman declared that now I know that there is no God in all of the earth except in Israel. He declared himself a follower of the God of Israel, the one true God. Now let's remember that Naaman is a foreigner. He's not among those born into the faith. He's not an Israelite chosen as the people of God. And yet through his healing and immersion in the Jordan River, he declares his faith in God, the God of Israel. Through his experience of God's love and power through the healing water of the Jordan, and through his experience of following the suggestion of the servant girl and the instructions of a prophet that he hasn't even seen, he's brought to faith in the God of Israel. Now, Naaman's Old Testament account is of being cleaned and healed in the water reminds us of what is yet to come through Jesus' ministry, and it even foreshadows our baptism in water through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself would go on to use the healing of Naaman to support his own ministry to non-Israelites when he spoke to his hometown in Nazareth in the book of Luke chapter 4. His home community is expecting him to bring his ministry of healing to his own people, but instead, Jesus is showing how he is going to go to those on the margins of society. He's going to go to the lost. He's going to go to those in need of healing and wholeness. Jesus shows that he is going to heal outsiders, even enemies of Israel, like Naaman. He says this to make clear that the grace of God is extended to those who do nothing to qualify for any saving grace at all. And Jesus is sharing a vision of a kingdom of God that is for everyone. Now, John Lewis shares that going to Buffalo was when he realized that we live in one house as Americans and as humans in this world. He started to believe that we're all connected, and he started to have a vision of what we were and what we could become. If one part of the house starts to rot or the roof has a leak, then the entire house is in jeopardy. If there's a damaged house, it's bad for everyone. So in Lewis' eyes, 
when they were opened, he began to see things differently as well. He began to have a vision of unity, but not one where everyone is exactly alike. He had a vision of unity that celebrates and welcomes diversity as neighbors and family. So this weekend, as we look forward to celebrating Independence Day, I often wonder what the founders of our country would think of where we're at today with our social and economic and political pressures that we have going on now that's so divisive. Because they too had a vision to form a more perfect union. They too had a vision to establish justice, to establish this constitution of the United States. And I wonder, are we there yet? Or do we have a long way to go? John Lewis had a vision too of unity for America as well one that included those who were probably excluded from what was considered normal society. He had a vision of one house for all Americans and humans of this world, one that would not let other areas of the house become damaged and rotten, but where all would help to keep the house in repair. So are we there yet, or do we have a long way to go? Jesus had a vision too. Jesus had a vision of taking God's love to those on the margins. So maybe the real question that we should be thinking about this weekend is, what can I do to help my fellow humans on this earth to be part of a more perfect union, to experience justice, and to live in a house where all are working to maintain it and to keep it in good repair? What can I do to make sure everyone is aware that they're a beloved child of God? and are not excluded from being considered one of God's people? And what can I do to make sure that others can experience this invisible grace and love of God? For John Lewis, this meant taking action and even getting into what he called good trouble. Good trouble means that you're just making others aware of something that needs challenging and correcting. And then sometimes you might get into trouble. But in his book, Carry On, he encourages us to look for things that need fixing and repair, to recognize what doesn't sit right in our hearts, and moves us to do something about it. He also shares that there is a light inside of you that will turn on when you get into good trouble. You will feel, feel emboldened and freed. So friends, I ask you, what isn't sitting right in your heart today? Are there situations where you see someone being excluded from the grace and love of God? Are there situations in our world that you feel need fixing or repairing in some way? Is there some action of inclusion that we could take that would allow others to experience the love and grace of Jesus Christ? And where can you and where can we as a church dip our toes to get into good trouble? and make a difference for the lives of others. As we've seen through the people of Naaman's story, it took a young girl to suggest Naaman go visit Elisha. All this young girl did was enable Naaman to experience God's love and power, which then brought about <clears throat> his faith in God. So may we have the courage of this young girl to invite and include others to experience God's love. And may we not just dip our toes into the water, but may we jump in, knowing that when we do, we have made a step 
towards transforming our world for the better for all. May it look like something like this, where this boy laying on the high diving board and we're being told, don't dip your toes in the water, just jump in. If you belly flop, get out, let the sting fade and then jump again. Just stop staring at the water or you'll never know how it feels. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the First Church Message of the Week. To stay connected, subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Facebook. For more information like our church calendar, worship times, and upcoming events, visit our website at watertownfirst.church. This has been the First Church Message of the Week.